Hello everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Fandoms, Culture, and Perhaps a Few Murders, where we discuss exactly that. Fandoms, Culture, and Perhaps a Few Murders. I'm your host, Feline, and with me, as always, is... Spade. And... Alpha. The topic for today is weird side plotlines slash quests in various media. And so we begin. The mine are actually like whole animes, not just like an episode. Now the first one I'm talking about is Hootie Cootie, but uh, on the American side they know him as Fooly Cooly. Have either of y'all seen or heard of that? Yep, I've heard of it. I've seen a couple episodes yeah. and I know that one's kind of wacky. It's absolutely all over the fucking place. So the premise is, it's a coming of age story centered around a 12 year old schoolboy living with his widowed father and grandfather. An accidental fatal blow to his head from a woman claiming to be from the Galactic Space Police Brotherhood creates a portal in his forehead that periodically produces mechanical monsters from a company known as Medical Mechanica. The first robot to emerge from his head was hit by the same woman, Hargo, and was turned into a friendly service bot that they later named Canty. That helps fight the mechs that come out of that kid's head. And it's not just like big mechs, there's small mechs too. It's ridiculous. Hargo, the woman who claims to be from the Space Galactic Force or whatever it is, has a Vespa scooter that's alien in nature in and of itself. When it's injured, she just takes random pieces from different vehicles and attaches to it and just immediately repairs itself. Like it absorbs and meshes into it, then all of a sudden it's right in ring. She uses a, like a, a guitar and her Vespa itself as like a, a weapon of sorts during the fights. Like it's a whole weird premise. It's just random and all over the place. The stuff that happens there is ridiculous. At one point, the kid accidentally bumps his head against another girl's head and it fucking transfers the hole to her head. And like half a spider thing comes crawling out of it and he has to fight that while it's attached to her while she's unconscious. It's ridiculous and absolutely all over the place. The next one I'm going to talk about is called Saint Young Men. And it's a slice of life anime where Jesus and Buddha are roommates. <laughs> it has a lot of visual gags, and Jesus is portrayed as an impassioned lover of all things, especially shopping. Each episode shows their average day-to-day lives as they drink, sightsee, and try to understand life in modern Japan, all while keeping their identities hidden. One example is an episode where Jesus creates wine from water in a public bathhouse, and Buddha shines like an ephemeral light when he gets excited. There's Akikan. This is a show about an anthropomorphic soda can. A soda can? <laughs> yes. Does it recycle itself too? No, 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 no. It's a, it's a melon soda can, right? It's a... <laughs> okay, so it transforms into a hot girl. Of course right? it does. Hot blonde girl. Of course it does. Yep. But periodically through the episodes, more soda cans turn into girls. And then they battle each other to become essentially the best girls. It's a soda can harem? Yes. <laughs> I bet Spade would go after the... Coke. Yeah. Coke girl. It's so funny. Yeah, but she'd be the curviest too because contour is inherent in the shape. For the bottles. But that's, that's the plastic bottle. The cans. No, no, sir. It's a no, gamble. No, nah, we're going to go with the can doing the I, contour I'd shape. Imagine, I'd imagine the Coke can would have like long black hair. She'd be like, ah, da, da, da. Like, oh, yeah. She would have... Like, yeah, I feel like Coke could be that big. The red eyes. She'd just be naked with a dynamic white ribbon around her. That's all. I'm just going by the package. The package has just the white ribbon. <laughs> oh, use the ribbon then. The ribbon that's wrapped around her in just the right way. Yep. You'd be good to go. The next one I want to talk about is Midori Days. And it's about this tough high school kid who can't get a girlfriend. And after one particular night of complaining about it just being him and his right hand forever, he wakes the next morning to find out his right hand is transformed into a girl. 
Of course. <laughs> the two sort of get into a romantic relationship, it's implied, and then he hides her advantages when he goes to school and claims it's an injury. So she's still hand-sized? Yeah, she's the size of a hand. She's the, like the length of his wrist to, to, to the fingers. <laughs> <laughs> it's meant to be like his age, but it's, it's rough. Small in stature. I was thinking full size, you know? Honestly, though, it's better than Parasite. I feel like he'd be willing to give up his hand if it turned into a bitch, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, of, co- of course he would. Yeah. Not that he would have a problem, especially if she can rotate, you know, body parts to be accessible. Mm. The next one I have is Seco Boys, and this is absolutely just one of the most ridiculous ones I found online. I haven't seen any of the episodes personally, but it sounds funny as hell, and I think I'm going to look into it. Seco Boys is Gypsum Busts of St. Giorgio, Hermes, Mars, and Medici going into hijinks with an art school graduate while attempting to be a pop idol band. Say yeah. again? <laughs> <laughs> it's the busts of St. Giorgio, Hermes, Mars, and Medici going into hijinks with an art school graduate while attempting to be a pop idol band. Just the busts of them. So, so we're talking like marble busts. Yes. <laughs> and they're trying and to they, be a band? Yeah, they want to be a pop idol band. And so she's their manager. How do they travel? How do they do anything? By a bus. When I was checking it out, I hadn't seen an actual episode again. I haven't seen this. I don't know when I look into it, but the, from the screenshots I saw, they did like the, the travel band thing, and they're strapped into the seats, and you see their heads moving and shit. Like it looks terrible, but funny. All I can picture is like some Futurama shit where they have the jar heads on like you know apparatuses, so that way they can oh. move. Well, it's, they look like live actual busts. Everything else around them is animated. So, wait, they don't even look like anime? <laughs> no, they're the actual bus. The regular ass anime thing or on High School Bus Club. That's really funny. Because now that's even weirder. <laughs> I'm trying to picture it. So, you just have these like cutouts of real actual bus. Yeah, it is so funny. It's so funny. I definitely suggest anybody who's listening to go look it up. Seco Boys. S E K K O B O Y S. Seco Boys. And it's literally just bus trying to be idle. It reminds me of this anime, and I forgot what it was. It was called it was something boys, and it's it's yakuza. It's the set of four yakuza guys who fucked up with their boss, and to make it up to them, instead of dying, he makes them go through cosmetic surgery to become an idol and make him money that way. So now their yakuza men have complete sex changes to look like idol girls and make their bosses money. That's expensive, but also a smart way to get them to make you money as opposed to just killing them off. That's a lost revenue stream there. Right, but that shit, it's just so funny. That was a random anime I would suggest other people to watch too. Um, but my last and final one is one of my top favorite animes of all time. It's called Excel Saga. Every episode is a tidal wave of randomness, hilarity, and fourth wall breaking. Its main plot is battered and lost among the writers and animators that insert themselves into the episodes and end every episode with the question of whether or not the theme of the episode was good or not. There's aliens, world domination, adorable poochu, sentai suits, apocalyptic scenery in one episode, self-deprecating protagonists, over-enthused minions, and under-enthused overlords. Essentially, Excel Saga is us following Excel, a school graduate who's been placed into working for a cross, a secret ideological organization whose ideals state that the world is corrupt. And the ultimate goal is, like I stated earlier, world domination. But the first step is to conquer the city of Fukuoka. The fellow cross member Hyatt and their emergency food supply dog named Minchi 
They set out every episode in an attempt to conquer the city while working odd jobs to pay rent. It's a crack anime that loves making fun of itself as well as others. There's a love episode, a sports episode. My favorite is the last episode. They went all out because they knew they couldn't make any more anime and they weren't going to be renewed. So the very last episode was so far off left that they couldn't play it off. They couldn't play it in Japan. It was only released with the DVD. They throw blood in there. They throw all kinds of shit in there. It is hilarious and ridiculous. And I cannot reiterate how random every episode is. It's so silly and it doesn't lose any of its funny and weird. One of the characters, Hyatt, is constantly fainting or weak or dying or oozing something that's suspiciously like blood, but played off as tomato juice. Excel is a hyperactive, speed-talking dutz who's in love with her boss, Lord El Palazzo. It's just a large match of characters, plot lines, and it'll just have you compelled and confused, and it's so fucking hilarious. Everything, I just, I can't exclaim enough about it. And every episode is literally just changing. They swap it up. Because at the end, the writers are just like, oh, this sucks, and they stamp it as a failure. And then the next episode is swapped up. There's still a main goal of fighting world domination, but now the plot is the sports anime. <laughs> the main characters are just thrown into having to have to take care of a group of washed-up baseball kids in high school. And they have to get them to get going. And the, the teacher, their coach, can't do anything because he's struck with a terrible curse that forces him to take shits wiping with only newspaper magazine magazine papers and causes butt to erode and shit like that. It's ridiculous. That's a very That's specific ridiculous. curse. Yes, it is. <laughs> it absolutely is. And when that episode is boom, marked a failure, the next episode is like a love episode. So they try to make two characters fall in love and they put up they put up little otome options next to the characters when they're falling in love and talking. And then like every one of them has an option of just put it in. <laughs> There's so much about it. It's just ridiculous. And it is really, it's one of the most ridiculous, like, random, like, every episode is meant to be random. Like, it couldn't have been a better, like, option for a topic for this episode. And that's why I love it so much. It's one of my first, like, animes I've watched. It's still fucking hilarious to me. Can you imagine how much shorter a lot of Otome games would be if one of the options at the very start was put it in? And she was just <laughs> mad cool with it. Yo, every time, uh, like, yo, put it in. You got the super happy ending. <laughs> <laughs> the animes I've seen seem to always have that thing where there's this extra shy guy who has a crush on females whether he's a you know a secret pervert or whatever and there's just this whole back and forth with a lot of extra work if they just straight out told each other hey i want in you know what i mean it, it could it, be, it could have been solved in like two episodes maybe less no what annoys me is when they have those opportunities there are women literally throwing themselves at them like do me do me now and they're just like no i'm too nice of a guy for that and they're like listen we can share it. We're okay with sharing you. You don't have to pick a single one of us. And he's like, still like, oh, you know, she's added, this doesn't feel right. It, I can make it feel right. Every single time I've ever seen yes, you know, a situation like that. Those drive me crazy. When I see a situation like that, I'm completely opposite. I feel like, take advantage of that situation. Hell yeah, I would. Shit, you telling me I can have a ham? Don't tell me twice. I watched someone sit there and do a fucking compilation of Smash or Pass on the Pokemon dog. <laughs> <laughs> What's that Pokemon? That one that everybody talks about and they sexualize? It's like the plant girl one. Oh, I can't remember. Gardevoir, maybe? Yeah, I think that's it. Alright, I did weird video game side quests. So the first one I have is from a series that's known to be weird, Earthbound. 
So in Earthbound, in the Dusty Dunes desert area, there is a little black speck on the ground of the map that is very easy to miss. Like it barely looks like anything really at all. And even if you do notice it, it doesn't really look very interesting. But you can talk to it. <laughs> what? When you talk to it, you find out that it's actually a black sesame seed who's just had a fight with their lover, the white sesame seed. <laughs> they feel really bad and they want to apologize. So if you go south from the area where you found the black sesame seed, you'll find a little white speck and that's the white sesame seed. You talk to her and she'll tell you that she still loves him. And once you deliver the message back to him, he'll begin to weep and that's it. No reunion, no reward, just sesame seeds and tears. Hold on. Wait, how far away apart are they from each other? Because how far can a sesame seed really travel when they mad at the significant other? I feel like their pace would be like this type of a snail or like the hope of the wind to flop them over. <laughs> yeah, they can't really move. And like, it's not a huge distance for your character to walk, but if you're thinking about it for like a sesame seed and how many rolls that must take, yeah, it's far. And there is no happy ending. So she says she's still in love with him. You tell him that and what? And that's it. They don't reunite. There is no way for you to bring them together. There's he no just cries. <laughs> and then you, you, that's it. You're done. You don't even get a reward. What the fuck? <laughs> it's just a weird interaction in a game that already has a bunch of like weird creatures and interactions. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Which, according to the most recent Nintendo Direct, is now playable on Nintendo Switch Online. The first two. So now you can go see a black sesame seed crying for yourself. <laughs> now that game and that quest reminded me of one that I played in Golden Sun, The Lost Age specifically, where it had this really like long fetch quest type of thing you had to do. And you have to travel to like several different islands back and forth because if you didn't know what to do right away, you'd have to like keep traveling, but it involves a lot of mind reading and animals. You have to reunite a penguin couple to get a redstone item to go travel back to a different island to give to a bird who you have to mind read to get a red cloth to give to a cow on another different island to get milk to give to a dog to get a baby turtle to give to a bigger turtle to get access to an optional island dungeon and God damn yeah that's to, so uh, much you have to find the, the dog on the log with the frog on the boat in the boat <laughs> yeah <laughs> and mind you this is one of those games where you have like the random encounters, like random enemy encounters, so it just spawns at any point. And you also have to do like kind of environmental puzzles because in this game you have like elemental powers and you can use them on the map to like sort of, like if there's a puddle, you can freeze it to create a pillar that you can hop across, you know? Just a bunch what of shit. Golden Sun. I would recommend you play it. Oh, that's a lot. What, what is the end goal for that mission? You get access to an optional dungeon, but it's actually a pretty good area to like grind. And once you get unlock a certain ability, you can go even further for a secret boss fight and a secret ability this or summon. Worth it. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty good really one. Grinding can be fun, if it's, but if it's not worth it, then you know what I'm saying? This one's pretty worth it. Now, for my second entry. In Star Wars, Knights of the Old Republic, there's a side quest that's fairly simple. Bring and deliver a package from point A to point B. You're also told not to open the box under any circumstances. So you can listen, complete your task, and receive your payment. Or you can open the box. <laughs> <laughs> What's in the box? What's in the box is this pure white room that looks 
like it goes on forever. You can see some pillars and a single bed in the distance. As you approach it, I don't know how to pronounce this correctly, but I'm going to say a Rakatan, which is an amphibious kind of alien in the Star Wars universe, uh-huh. will step out from behind one of the pillars and tell you that you're in a mind prison, and he's the prisoner. He was imprisoned for being like a revolutionary leader trying to overthrow the government. He failed and got thrown in jail for centuries. But now you're trapped in there too. Oh shit. And he says he knows a way out, but it requires a body. And since he's been in there for centuries, his body's dead. So he'll need yours. Uh, that sounds shady as fuck. It is saying. shady. Well, he challenges you to a riddle battle. And if you win, you get to leave. If he wins, he gets to leave in your body and you get trapped yeah, in the mind prison. Yeah, fucking knew that. I fucking knew it. But he is fair. So if you <laughs> do successfully solve the three of his riddles, he'll eventually lose to yours and you'll be able to leave and complete your quest and get your reward money still. But the funniest part of all of this is that if you simply don't open the box, if you do as you're told, you'll miss this entire experience, this entire character, and this chance to lose and get trapped in a mind prison forever. That's insane. But the only benefit out of it is your freedom? You don't get anything extra? No. I would have went completely without that shit. <laughs> I don't get nothing from it. Fuck all that, man. I'm not gonna go through all that. Have to worry about me being trapped somewhere with three puzzles that I might not answer. Fuck all that mess. Some people didn't know about it because they just didn't open the box. They didn't even know this could happen. What this makes me think of, though, is the Hobbit in the riddle battle between Bilbo and Gollum. Oh, yeah. Now, that one's pretty funny. That was pretty good. And the last one wasn't even a riddle. He cheated. He cheated. He also said, if we win, we get to eat you whole. So... I might cheat too. (laughs) (laughs) My last one, and probably the best one. In Near Automata, there is a side quest in the amusement park area. And the amusement park area is already pretty interesting because it has a bunch of robots and clown and jester costumes with balloons throwing confetti. It's very interesting, like visually, and it's fun to be around. You go to a receptionist at the amusement park to get a quest where he'll tell you he'll reward you if you collect 10 stamps. To collect nine of the stamps, you go around talking to different machines, helping them with whatever the problems are, and sometimes fighting them. But the final stamp is where it gets good. You go to the stage area where you previously defeated this very operatic machine, and you have to watch a robot rendition of Romeo and Juliet. It starts with a Juliet coming onto the stage and saying the whole, Oh, Romeo, oh, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? You know. And then you have Romeo come out, doing the whole Juliet, Juliet, pretty standard. But then a second Juliet comes out, (laughs) and a second Romeo, and then a third Juliet, and then a third Romeo. Then they decide that they have to destroy each other. So you literally see them go at it, and you hear them cry, Die, Romeo, thou stupid asshole. (laughs) And while they're like wailing on each other, and you hear a clanking and seeing them flail, You have them shouting at each other, like, you know, old-timey sounding insults with a little bit of flair. Like this one that was pretty funny. I would suggest you watch the clip to see it for yourself, but one one shout that was pretty distinct. I'll tear the shit out of thee. (laughs) And they're all saying this in robotic voices, too. (laughs) Robotic voices trying to do, like, Shakespearean dialogue while also swearing. So, like, claw out the Securitrons? Romeo, Romeo. Yes. 
Exactly. Fabulous. I'm going to look for that clip. Yeah, go look for it. Especially at the end, there's one Juliet that remains. (laughs) There can only be one. She comes to the front of the stage and states, The Romeos are no more. I have slain them all. And then she self-destructs. That's fucking great. That's the end of the play. The curtains close. The guy comes out and he's like, uh, okay. Come get your stamp. And it's really funny to watch, so definitely look up the clip. I've played near Automata. I haven't played the entire thing yet. I'm still kind of early on in this, but already I know there's a lot of interesting robots with interesting personalities. Like there's this lost little girl robot, even though she's bigger than you, she's larger than your character, big clanky robot with a pink bow. And that's a side quest too, where you have to like guide her home. So it's an escort mission. But while you're escorting her, she asks you questions like, where do babies come from? <laughs> this big ass robot. No, not really. Okay, I was gonna say, what kind of responses do they give you with your answers? Because your like partner kind of just goes like, ah. That's hilarious. There's also this robot that you encounter, and he's like a philosopher. He calls himself Jean Paul. He has a side quest where you have his like three fangirl bitch robots. <laughs> One of them has like makeup plastered on their face. <laughs> Oof. And they all want you to like go tell him their affection, shower him with gifts on their behalf, talk to them for him. To which he very much disregards them. He says some shit like, I don't care about them at all and yet they adore me. Let me ponder on this. And then you go tell them this and they're all about it. They're like, ah, he's so great, isn't he? While he's completely disregarding these bitches. And they're all robots, so it's even funnier. They're ro-bitches. (laughs) Ro-bitches. So there's lots of just really funny, weird robots out there that you can interact with, have interesting dialogue, and do funny side quests. So this one has tons of like interesting ones. I've covered the comic side of one-offs, and if you can believe there was an issue of Spider-Man in which Dr. Octopus tried to marry Aunt May because she inherited a fully functional and abandoned nuclear facility somehow. I remember that. By what means would she have acquired that? I don't know. I mean, I didn't read the comics, so I can't say. It seems fantastical that why would a abandoned facility still be fully functional? Yeah. And just like any plotline where they have random marriages is always... All I took away from that, besides the, you know, ridiculousness of that particular storyline, is Doc Ock wanted to be Spider-Man's uncle. Right. I was going to say some shit like he was about to give me all the tentacles. She would have felt really young. Hmm. Oh, she like that time. Hands with their own they're mind. Gonna, they're gonna be rough. Like he'd have to like. All right, so let's get into it. I mean, he'd have to cover it with like rabbit fur and stuff like that. Yeah. You could have a hand for every occasion. Yeah, and I'm saying, but like still, they're metal and they're cold. So he'd need to like install warmers on there. Was the old time calling him sheepskin? Put sheepskin on that. Yeah. <laughs> A 1942 Wonder Woman story had Diana Prince realizing the cost of milk had increased dramatically. So she talks to the president of the International Milk Company. He says that because he has a monopoly on milk is the reason why the price increased. However, she finds out that it's actually Nazis who are behind it buying all the milk in America to raise the price to unaffordable levels, thus weakening the bones of every poor kid in America so that in 20 years time, citizens would be so weak they couldn't fend off the strong-boned Nazis. Uh, so they were for the long con, huh? I was saying the real long game. But that's so funny. And I bet you back then the price of milk was so expensive at 20 cents, it was absolutely preposterous. 
compared to today's like four dollars and some change. Oh my god! For brand name milk. Three something for like a quarter gallon. I'm over it. Anytime you have Nazis just doing some shit out of nowhere. <laughs> for the milk. It's always Nazis too. Oh my god! I wonder in the comic, the actual printed comic book of that episode, of that chapter, is sponsored by Hood or the milk industry. I swear to God. Can you imagine like the advertisements? Don't let Nazis steal your milk. Can you imagine? Minecraft, my milk. <laughs> <laughs> How you who or something like that for chocolate milk. A gang of thugs devised a plan to get rid of Batman by finding him a wife. <laughs> He's a motherfucking bright idea. <laughs> Batman needs to get away. <laughs> so that way they can get him off of patrolling the streets of Gotham. It's like, he's too uptight. Get him laid. <laughs> so they set up a million dollar ad campaign which swarmed him and Robin with lots of women. And while they were distracted, the thugs went to steal a bunch of fur coats. Never mind, you know, robbing banks or, you know, do, you know what I mean? For, for, for some reason, they decided that they wanted to grab fur coats. Apparently, it must have been really expensive or something back then. And lastly, a seven-part story arc saw Kingpin imprison the Punisher. And, I mean, the Punisher has been in prison so many times and broken out of prison so many times it's almost right. like redundant that you do that. But, okay, that's what he did here. And while he was in prison, an uh, inmate that was already there named Jigsaw had disfigured Frank Castle right to the bone. Get the fuck out of here. And then Frank, of course, escapes after where a pal takes him to see a quote-unquote former doctor-turned-junkie prostitute who does experiments in tissue regeneration using melanin. Mm. So, <laughs> the Punisher goes under the knife with his disfigurement completely gone and healed with the adverse effect that he's now black. But like, why is a junkie turned prostitute doing experiments in cell regeneration? Former doctor, former doctor turned junkie prostitute. Oh my god, this, <laughs> okay, so this reminds me of this movie. It's so bad, it's on Amazon. It's called Iron Sky, and in it, there's a secret base on the moon of Nazis who've escaped. They don't know what's happened on the earth, they just know that they love and they're Nazi, living their best Nazi life on the moon and expanding. Now, when we sent motherfuckers to the moon, one of them was a black guy and they got captured. The other person got captured. The other person died, but the black guy survived. They decided that they were going to convert this guy into a Nazi. So what they did was they injected him to something called like albinism and then turned him white and then subjected him to turning the black guy into a white Nazi. I was gonna say they injected him with Aryan juice. Yeah, it literally said like Aryan something or like Albion Aryan or something like that. Like that's what it, it was really hokey too. Like it said it on the bottle. Labeled the poison for Cusco. <laughs> and clearly a black dude doing whiteface. And he pretends to be brainwashed so they could send him back to Earth and he'd help take over Earth. But now he's homeless on the street. Nobody believes him that he's black. <laughs> Yeah, it's a fucking weird movie. Clayton Bigsby, black white supremacist. Yes, oh my god, that's so good one too. <laughs> so Frank Castle teams up with Luke Cage and they're, they literally do at one point get pulled over by police for absolutely nothing just because they were both black. I love that they teamed him up with like the first black superhero <laughs> they could think of. That's hilarious. Frank Castle gets arrested for being black. I imagine his blackness just, you know, went away in a couple of days or something. Yeah, I mean, of course it didn't last long. Of course. Yeah, because, you know, I'd imagine that that was a very short-lived storyline. 
All right. Am I the asshole? Now, the option, guys, is sister, neighbor, roommate, and ex. Roommate. All right. Am I the asshole for moving out without informing my roommate and possibly causing him to lose the place? First, I would like to inform you that I am on the autism spectrum. If you're going to use sarcasm in your comments, please label it as I have difficulty distinguishing it, even while written. Also, feel free to give it to me straight. I'm not a fragile person. I, male 22, have been living with a roommate for close to five months now. I am not on the lease. The rent and utilities are too much for my ex-roommate to handle on his own. I have a tick, you could say. I count. And by that, I mean I count steps, stairs, light posts, sips, spikes of food, pillows. It helps me cope with the situation of the world. When I moved in, I made it clear to my then roommate that he was not allowed to touch my food. I meal prep. Since one, I can't eat anything I or my family didn't cook. And two, while cooking, I tend to count individual pieces of food. I think how many chicken chunks, how many pieces of vegetables. And if while eating, the numbers don't match, I tend to get overwhelmed. He respected that for the first couple of months. Then he started stealing bites. It stressed me out and I would talk with him. At first, he used to deny it and then apologize and promise to never do that again. A couple weeks later, he would do so again. Five days ago, I got home after a very stressful day and took out a container of strawberries. When I got to the end of it, it was three strawberries short. I had a meltdown, the first in more than four years. After I managed to calm down and feel better, I called my parents and asked to move back in while looking for another place. I packed my stuff and was out by the next day. I did not inform him of my moving. He had an upfront month's rent, so I did not need to give him anything. I actually gave up three weeks of rent. He did not even know I moved out until today, and he called me panicked about his situation. I told him that he was bad for my mental health and I could no longer be living with him. I am blocking him from everywhere after we hang up. He called me an asshole and told me that he will become homeless because I couldn't spare three measly strawberries. I am bad with human interactions and judging situations accurately. So am I the asshole in this situation? Initially, I would have sat there and said yes until hearing the details of it. But I would determine that seeing as he actually talked to him and he told him his concerns, and especially since having lived with the man, depending on how long they were living together, but either way, I'm sure he would have noticed his roommate's tics and and OCD related to whether he even knew he was on the autism spectrum or not. You would know how he was. And he even told you things that he has to have done. And he made a simple request that technically should be respected by whoever you live with anyway. So I'd say that he ultimately wasn't since he left money. I mean, he paid for his remaining rent for the time I assumed that he was going to remain there for. The only downside is he didn't tell him that he was leaving. So if there was going to be an asshole label, I'd probably say it'd be to that part where he just, you know, up and left. But he didn't up and leave without leaving money. I feel like in some of these scenarios, it's kind of hard, especially if someone does have some sort of, I don't want to say disability, but you know, something else going on. But it's always something I think of in my head. When you're being told a story by one side, you know what I mean? People tend to lessen their own guilt or make themselves sound better. Or if they do have some sort of issue, use it as an excuse to make it sound more justifiable. And I'm not saying for sure that's what this is. It's just always something I think of. And if you covered your half and you clearly stated when you first moved in your boundaries that you have 
these ticks, that you have these counting things that keep you comfortable and like you explain it clearly to them, like no misunderstanding whatsoever, then yes, that's definitely on them, their fault if they're going to disregard that. Not to mention, it's never cool if someone's like stealing your food. Like you can have a roommate and whatever, but like what's mine is mine, what's yours is yours. If I offer, if I say it's okay, that's one thing. But you just taking is not okay. And he covered his half of the rent, or he covered whatever money he needed to before leaving. But I would say, like, I can see where him not telling his roommate could have blindsided him to the fact, like, oh, wait, now I have to figure out a new means of, like, compensating this other half of the money that I need. Or I don't recall if you said exactly how long he had been gone for before his roommate noticed. You really mentioned it. He just said you really noticed until today. Because I don't know if this guy has gone to his family's house various times where like his absence might not have been something immediately like, oh, he's moved out. You know what I mean? If he's spent time at his family's pretty regularly or just like his roommate himself isn't home a whole lot, it could be something where he genuinely was not prepared financially. Besides the payment that you did give him, I don't know how much the money is, you know? He says, I calculated how much money I needed to spend to make it an even 30 days of rent, including the days I moved out and didn't sell him, and then gunmoed it to him. He doesn't have a problem living with people, just the step boundaries needs to be stayed set. Yeah, and that's understandable for anyone in any situation. If you have a roommate, again, you have whatever set rules you guys agree upon. It's a verbal contract, sometimes a written contract, you know what I mean? Right. You make your rules. There's there's a layer of privacy and boundaries it's gotta be when you move in with another person because it's clearly everything you don't want that person to do to you and there's things that that person doesn't want you to do to them. As long as you respect the set boundaries, it doesn't fucking matter. You just need to keep the respect, that's it. As soon as you break that respect, that person's bound to do it again. Not to mention, I feel like if he's, I know like food doesn't sound like a serious thing, but it's a troubling quality in a person if they feel like, well, I just want some of what you have and they take from you because food is serious. You, you also have other belongings like money, movies, clothes, whatever valuable things you have and we become susceptible to the exact same actions. Yeah, right. exactly. If they disrespect you in one way, they will disrespect you. They will find it's okay to disrespect you, period. I'm sure they probably motherfucker had his own fucking food. He didn't have to sit there and touch his food, especially knowing his tics and his nervous and whatever psychosis he had. Yeah, that's an added layer. When it's, it's already a problem that you're not respecting someone else's belongings. But when you know it's also tied to a mental, emotional well-being thing, and you still choose to disregard that, that just really shows the type of person you are, you know what I mean? Right, and can we keep it above the autistic person is that doing this person a favor by living there and not being on the lease and helping pay half the rent? Yeah. They shouldn't have an apartment they can't handle. They shouldn't be sitting in a situation where they couldn't sit there and replace somebody with a, with a roommate. Like, you don't put yourself in a situation and leave yourself open like that, especially when you disrespect the other person that you're doing. You're not, you're not just thinking big picture. You're thinking for immediate, and that's just fucking dumb. He specifically took a few too, which means he right. didn't want it to be noticed. Yeah, I was gonna say sneak to shit. Knowing that he, he's rain, the homeboy's rain man enough to be able to fucking know exactly how many numbers are there. You know this, you know this, after being told a couple of times too. It's just disrespect at this point, and I do not blame that motherfucker for leaving at all. 
It tells me also that on the problematic Rumi's behalf is that if he seems to have been caught off guard and yet he also at the same time had to take food from his roommate, it almost makes me believe that he might not be good at managing money. Not to mention that it's just really dumb to specifically steal from someone who specifically counts their food. And who lives with you? Yes. You're in the same space. It could be nobody but you. That's what I was alluding to earlier is that you are familiar with this person's tics. Even if you didn't notice, he had a conversation with you in which there's no way to avoid that you were told this. That you were, you had some knowledge of what this person's tics were. Exactly. So in this corner of the universe, Russell Crowe has now joined Sony's Craven the Hunter movie. It's rumored that he may be playing the father of Aaron Taylor Johnson's Craven. Uh, he's a Soviet aristocrat who fled to the U.S. after the collapse of Nicholas II. It will be Crowe's third comic film after 2013's Man of Steel and the upcoming Thor Love and Thunder where he will be playing Zeus. Rumors also claim that Sony is casting for characters Chameleon and Calypso for the Craven movie. Now, for those who are not familiar, Chameleon is the half-brother of Craven and Calypso is a former lover. My mind immediately went to Mortal Kombat when you said Chameleon. See, I went to um, Pirates of the Caribbean for Calypso. Interesting how that worked out, huh? <laughs> Will Smith supports an official release of David Ayer's director's cut of Suicide Squad. He says that a whole lot of footage was left on the floor and he would love for it to have been realized in its intended form. Now, this is the biggest name to throw his support behind the petition that has been kind of floating around since Snyder Cut had been asked for by fans. And there are fans of Suicide Squad who would like to see Ayer's cut realized. Now, David Ayer himself says that his film was taken and edited without his permission, resulting in what we ultimately saw released. Now, whether or not, in your opinion, does that improve Suicide Squad for you remains to be seen. But... Obviously, seeing how well-received Snyder's Justice League has been received on HBO shows that it was vastly better and well-received by critics and fans than Whedon's cut of Justice League. I feel like the Snyder's Justice League was just critically acclaimed or, or amped up and hyped up because of all the hate that was thrown at Whedon. And it was amped up. I feel like it was boosted up a bit more because there was a lot of like slow motion, long extended scenes and shit that I could absolutely do without the fucking Spider. Yeah, Snyder is I, famous for that. Or infamous, I think rather. There, there are good bits for both movies. If mashed together, would have been an excellent movie. I think there needed to be light and gravitas and, and, and jokes and shit into it because DC is lacking some shit when it comes to the movies, man. And I, I didn't mind Whedon's cut and I didn't mind Snyder's cut. Like, I just liked the movie as it was. It was just amped up for Snyder's cut because people wanted to see, like, Black Suit Superman. People wanted to see Steppenwolf to look different. They wanted to see what it was. And people were hating on Snyder, and then there was a lot of accusations coming out against Snyder about sexism, even dating back as far as Buffy goes. And, like, you know, so there's a lot of hate thrown his way. Well, you meant Whedon for that. Whedon for that, yeah, that's what I mean. And that's why his shit was so downplayed and then hated on while Snyder's, because it wasn't seen, was boosted and wanted and jeered and controlled from the audiences. They wanted it, they wanted it. And then, like, when people put it out, they, they had nothing, what are you going to say after something you've been wanting so hard for so long? People were like, yeah, it was great, it was better than the other one. Fuck him. You know what I mean? I was going to say that I also wasn't blown away by his version. It's not like it completely changed how I felt about the entire thing, you know? It was just something different. Right. 
not awful, but not drastically better. And for the Suicide Squad, I don't think cutting room floor shit would fix a lot of the bad dialogue. Like, if it was written that way, it was probably written that way in scenes that got cut out too, you know what I mean? Right. It would just have maybe a more explicit joke that they didn't get to keep or something. It would be small things that could be little, a little entertaining for the moments that they happen, but I don't think it would overall improve something that had, at least for me, it just didn't hit, you know? Yeah. Uh, to go back on the history of Justice League, when Joss Whedon was brought on board, he was brought on board for the express purpose to take over for Zack Snyder, who had suffered an unimaginable tragedy when his daughter had committed suicide. That's right, I forgot about that. Now, when Whedon was brought on, he was to finish what Snyder had started. But, of course, there was a lot of rewrites and such that occurred. And at the same time, Whedon was coming off of the huge popularity of what he did for Avengers. Even though Age of Ultron wasn't as received well, he still was coming off of a hot run directing to major superhero blockbusters. So, fans were excited that he was coming on board to take over for Justice League. However, with all the controversy that happened behind the scenes with all these rewrites and executives from Warner Brothers interfering based on the performance of Batman vs Superman. They were concerned that they were going to have another big bust on their hands. Even though Batman vs Superman made a lot of money, it just didn't make the money that they hoped it would. So it's almost like it just about almost broke even but it wasn't profitable. And they were hoping that Justice League could be salvaged. So the biggest gripe with Justice League was that it looked like it was a mashup of two different visions. And so Warner Brothers had expressly directed Whedon to make it a little bit more light as opposed to the dark that Batman vs Superman was. So a lot of it felt out of place or it felt forced. And then when the petitions for the Snyder Cut surfaced, and this was after Whedon's finished product was lambasted for you know the pacing and seemingly not interesting backstory because you saw that Steppenwolf came to Earth to collect the mother boxes. That's his goal. But what was the motivation for it? Snyder's version restored what the motivation was for the villain, which for most critics and fans, now they understood why Steppenwolf was desperate to get the boxes. So it fleshed him out more. I will say one of the things that I do think was an improvement was seeing like the old war scenes and seeing some of the gods, that was a good thing that did improve it a little bit. But you see, that was also available in the Whedon version. It's just that they expanded upon a little bit more of it because you got to see Darkseid before that scene. And then you got to see him during that scene and why he felt the way that he felt, what his motivations were to find the anti-life equation. And don't forget, the slow motion scenes were 3% longer. So of course you saw more. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the of, his, of all his slow motion scenes in any of his films. The musical score for the movie is beautiful, but it went on too long in some cases. I, I appreciated the fleshing out and the explanation for the, the life equation. Yeah, in the, um, in the villain's motivations. It's one of the things yeah. that the critics did and fans did like unanimously. Yeah, that was well done, but everything else about it, it was, there was a lot of like give and take there again, like I said, I, that there was something take from the Snyder and a take from the Whedon and just mush them together to make a good movie. And can I just make a comment about like how funny 
and hard to balance it is for exposition. Yeah. <laughs> exposition is something that, in this case, I guess people were asking for in the Snyder Cut. Well, they were just asking to see what his original vision was, really. There's so many times, too, in movies or in games or any media, storytelling media, where exposition is something that's griped against for some reason. It's a hit I, or miss thing. I personally don't get it. Like, I know over-explaining can be annoying, mm -hmm. but like when they're giving you a background because every story needs a background well, and needs Well, not to mention something. the audience isn't all versed in comic book lore, so explanation has to be given. So there has to be exposition, even if it may be tiresome to those who are already in the know. Yeah, because I mean, like, every story needs a motivation of sorts, mm -hmm. and it's always going to be important to it. And if you don't have the exposition, you have cases like this one where people don't feel invested because they don't understand the motivations but there's been so many times too where I've seen people complain about it which also doesn't make any sense to me because no. again it's just something you expect some cases can be done better than others which I think is what was the case here specifically but it's still something like it's just weird ground I guess I mean, I didn't mind either version of Justice League. I mean, I, I accepted Justice League for what it was, uh, theatrical cut and the Snyder. I mean, I'm not going to be against a longer version of a superhero movie. I'm going to always be down for that. So really, I liked that I got to see more of Darkseid and got to see Granny Goodness and Dasad because those yeah. were characters that didn't make it in the original cut. So to see them and to see why Steppenwolf was so desperate to get the boxes and why it was important for him to be successful explains better why he came there in the first place. And seeing uh, Superman in the black and silver suit was fine. I just felt it was inaccurate in terms of one, he should have had long he should have had longer hair, and there was never a cape. This year's Call of Duty will cost more than previous entries have cost. Apparently, it's rumored that Activision is developing it between 250 to 300 million dollars. It has been since confirmed that it will be the sequel to 2019's Modern Warfare with Infinity Ward rather at the helm. So, if that dollar amount is true, it will be one of the most expensive video games ever made, and Activision seemingly is betting that this sequel will be a hit, as Modern Warfare did very well when it was released. How much is it expected to be released for? I mean, the price would still be the same, you know, for a standard video game. It's just that they're just going to throw all their eggs in the basket. Oh, so their work. budget. Yes. Oh, I thought they, they were going to put that onto us. No, like, I thought no, no, no. it was going to be... Well, no, well, they are, in a way. They are. They you are. Know? Any, any budget is always going to be passed on to the consumer when you purchase the item. But they're betting that because Modern Warfare was so popular, it has been their most popular one since, that a sequel is something the fans would want to clamor for, so they're putting their eggs all in one basket, so to speak, and are betting that it will do well. I mean, honestly, they do have the money now because Microsoft has their deep pockets to back them. So if it's a loss in terms of it doesn't hit right with fans, it's not going to be something that they'll feel other than a hit to their reputation. And maybe a, a, a bit of a clamp to their spending in the future for the franchise. Also, didn't Cold War come out just recently? I know it's like a thing for there to be like an annual game, but for something like that where servers and like just replayability are the main appeal mm -hmm. for it, Especially since their season passes, too. Right. They want you to spend money on Are you supposed to buy multiple season passes for, like, 
the same experience on different versions of the game spread out. Like, That's if you hope, have yeah. friends and you have a thing going where you enjoy the Cold War multiplayer or whatever, I feel like there could definitely be a wider window where, like, play on that server for a while, commit to that server, because they're just going to end, end up shutting them down anyway and, like, promote their next game. So just let it breathe. It's They have multiple servers that overlap. Like, right now, you could still play Black Ops 2 on servers and that was released how many years ago and these servers keep overlapping because there is a yearly entry but Activision is big enough for their servers to have all these running concurrently with one another and have all these different communities that may not want to buy the next Call of Duty because what if the one that they bought is the one they enjoyed so they either some of them will of course take the gamble and buy the next entry to see if it was just as good but then if it isn't they go back to their other one and they return the one they just bought so they're going to continue supporting these communities as long as people are playing it but obviously however many entries away from the one that you enjoy playing yours like you said is eventually going to shut down and when it does at least there's other call of duty servers that you can jump on but granted it's your preference you might not like the other ones because i really like black ops too but the previous game or not previous the successive sequels have not been like they're still fine it's still a call of duty experience Mm -hmm. it's fine if you like first person shooters and you like playing on multiplayer but they do feel different from the one that i really liked but if i did try to play on servers whether they're still up or not they're not going to have the same player count there's going to be way less if any people on it you can hardly find matchmaking as i remember yeah, uh, like last checking like a few years back. Yeah, so imagine it now if it's mm-hmm. still there. Mm-hmm. And it's largely contributed or a large contributing factor would be these new entries coming out every year because every time someone jumps ship and goes to the next one and the next one. So I have no security in the game I'm playing if I know everyone's just gonna leave and it's because that's how they sort of market their shit. They want you to move on to the next one. So where's the chance for me to really enjoy it? Not to say that people who find a game they like won't continue to play it, but there is a lot of people you will see definitely a a large dip from who is there when a new game comes out. Yeah, there's always going to be a dip in the player base because there will be people who will jump to the next iteration to take advantage of all the new features and all the new maps or revamped maps. But then at the same time, there are people who can't just jump to the next entry. So there's always going to be a good amount of people around to play. But as more and more years pass, and then those games eventually do go on sale for Black Friday or they just drop in general, people will jump onto those and they'll leave the other ones behind. Now granted, a credit to Activision is they do at least continue to support these servers for long periods of time. It's like easily seven, eight years, you can get good play out of it. The downside is, of course, with every new entry, the player base will drop for the game you currently have unless you get the next one. And I feel like that's a whole other conversation in a problem area in gaming where you buy a title, you expect to enjoy it, and if you like to play online, that's an experience you want to have and you want to continue to have that experience, but it is going to be limited. And a lot of this is now games as a service. So they're trying to make as much money as they can off of the consumer with their purchase of their product. But it is going to be like a limited time. It's as soon as you buy it, whenever you buy it, the clock starts winding down after the very last bit of content gets released for the season pass. 
weekly events are things that they'll continue to carry on. But once they stop the weekly events and it starts to recycle, then you know it's even more that those days are numbered. Its foot is in the grave. It's like taking a closer step. Well, I don't have a dog in this race. I don't play Call of Duty. The only way I've ever wanted to play Call of Duty is to play prop on. I still haven't done that. And I don't, I don't know anybody that played prop on a PC that would play a PC with me. And I only, the only Call of Duty game I have is the Black Ops one that they released for free from PlayStation Plus. Some of the previous Call of Duty games before they stopped having, well, not necessarily stopped having active service, but when they stopped releasing content for it. Usually, some of the last major updates are they'll bring back certain modes to make them permanent fixtures in. But it's random for which particular ones they will release and for what uh, entry. The other part of that conversation is the idea of yearly entries being a bad thing as opposed to a good one. I mean, there are going to be some good ones in there for people who are fans of a franchise. Of course, they want to play the next iteration. And there's a sequel coming. You're already excited. You're already amped. But after a while, does the quality of that game suffer, of that franchise that will suffer, if there continues to be yearly entries where it's essentially the same game with just new improvements, a new roster, a new mode, new modes, new maps, but it's essentially the same thing. Yep. Now, a German gamer broke his neck while wearing a VR headset because he moved, quote-unquote, too intensely. Oh, shit. Doctor says that the guy's repetitive movements led to his neck being damaged before part of the bone eventually cracked. X-rays had revealed he fractured his C7 neck vertebra which is the near base of the neck above the shoulders. It is believed to be the first documented VR stress fracture, and the injury resembled those found in runners and soldiers, horse riders, and volleyball players. So the way he played was very intense, apparently. And the fact he wore the bone and the, the cartilage between the, the vertebrae down so much that that could happen, that's insane to me. I just want to say that when you were talking about him breaking his neck on some vigorous movements, I was thinking, you know, inappropriately. Well, there is VR porn, so, you know. That's not written off the books, <laughs> Eli, that's still on the table. Uh -huh. <laughs> it just wasn't the list of things. Yeah, it was, it was not mentioned what headset he was using, nor what games or game he was playing. Because I was going to yeah, ask, what kind of game, what are you doing where you're moving your head that hard? Hey, some people are intense gamers. They do do a lot of motions. Like, you see those people who literally beat their controller up while playing a fighting game and shit like that. So it's not out of the realm of possibility. But until those details ever get released, we can only surmise what he was doing in the headset. I'm an angry gamer. Like, I've had to train my reactions to be minimal because before I was definitely a fucking controller thrower. I throw it on the bed, though, because I knew it would bounce. But a couple of times it bounced off the bed and onto the floor, and then I was just like, I can't do that shit no more. And that was like when I was younger. So when I started getting older, I started having to train different shit. So it used to be gripping the controller, but then I'd hear like the cracking of like the plastic, just, eh, you know, that like, eh, feel that you get so it's, it's being squeezed and shit. So I'd stop that. And the next is just like digging my fingers into the controller. There's a whole section of one of the tabs on my controller for my PlayStation 4 that's missing a section of that little, uh, was it that fur, that rubber that's over the plastic of the controller? Yeah. It's a section missing because like, sometimes I'll be using my nail on the controller to, to move it. And it's just like, oh, I'm mad. I'll dig it in. And then it's tense, but like, it's not my intended, but like, this is how I've had to train myself to lessen because I'm definitely one of those like Brian gamers. I would be. 
Now, Twitch, in an effort to curb hateful conduct and harassment, updated its user policy this week to borrow references to quote-unquote sexual acts, arousal, fluids, or genitalia. Fluids. As well as references to hard drugs, with marijuana specifically being exempt. Legalize it everywhere, y'all. Along with alcohol and tobacco from the ban. Now, Twitch for a few years has been in a tug of war with some streamers who have developed large followings by flouting the spirit, if still following the letter, of some of its content policies. One example, of course, being the hot tub meta, the live stream subgenre taking advantage of policies that exempted swimwear from guidelines prohibiting sexually suggestive or explicit content. Now, they're trying to become at least a little bit more proper with trying to tell current users that if they have any username that falls under those banned categories, they have to change that username to something that's within their guidelines. Of course, it's going to be a big deal to some streamers because obviously when you're going on Twitch, you're looking for that streamer by name. So the name has to be known to your fan base, especially if they're subscribed to you and your your monetization is important. Right, and if you have videos via other uh, streaming sites, you have to change all of that information too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't necessarily have to change them on those all streaming sites, but you do have to sit there and alter any descriptions or anything like that, and any recordings that you do that claim that old Twitch account. On the set of Bad Girl, Michael Keaton has finally been spotted and in the bat suit. Nice. The movie still has no release date, but it is nice knowing that he's going to be in the suit past The Flash because before he had only been known to be in the suit in The Flash movie. But it's nice to see that he will be. Yes, yes, yes. So happy. And lastly, before the Super Bowl aired, obviously you know a lot of uh, trailers get released in the days leading to the Super Bowl as well as Super Bowl night. But the official trailer, full trailer, for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness was released. And it brings about a lot of confirmations in some forms of fashion within the trailer. It is absolutely packed. It looks like it's going to be, you know, fun to watch. And not only has it been now confirmed in the trailer that the Ultron bots appear, the the Illuminati's seats look like they're in a chamber. So the MCU is about to go there. But the biggest thing for me was that the voice and the side of a bald head was spotted. And it is absolutely Patrick Stewart and Professor X. Get the fuck out of here! Your first mutant to be introduced to the MCU would not be any proper than Professor X himself. Of course it is. And it says it was released three hours ago. I want to watch it now so I can fucking look at it. You only get to see the camera pan over his shoulder, but his voice please sounds like it's him. I've not, I have not heard it in audio yet. I've only seen it visually and I've seen the headlines, but it was rumored since last year, I think even the year before. It was confirmed by Patrick Stewart that Kevin Feige had had a conversation with him, and they had talked about Professor X, but we didn't hear anything else come of it. And seeing as now we're dealing with a multiverse, it's very possible, especially since in the Illuminati there are, he's one of the members along with Iron Man and Black Panther, but in this iteration, it looked like there was a a different version of Captain Marvel that was seen. It's believed to be Lashana Lynch. So you remember Monica Rambeau's mother. Oh, yeah. And then the other character seemingly involved is Captain Carter. So not only does it seem like the Dark Sorcerer Supreme from the What If series is in this film, but Captain Carter could possibly be as well. Wait, Captain Carter is... um... Hayley Atwell. Peggy Carter. That's right, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Now, I really want to see this trailer now and react to it. Yeah. Like... The only words are uttered, and you have to listen to his voice, but he says, we should tell him the truth. And the camera makes sure that you see that there's a hint of a bald head, and the voice seems to be very distinct, because without that voice being, you know, discernible, I would have thought something along the lines of the Ancient One, just seeing the back of the bald head. Yeah, you just telling me the description, I thought it was the Ancient One, especially since it has to do with Doctor Strange. Mm -hmm. That's immediately what I thought. So they might outdo themselves and outdo Spider-Man with this, because the next biggest thing you can top to Spider-Man joining the current one would be to introduce mutants and bring back the seminal one that you perfectly cast not even you. It was your competition at the time who cast him perfectly. So we have to wait and see. But May 6th can't get here fast enough. I can't wait. I saw a meme earlier and said, what's the difference between Matt Murdock and Wanda? What? One knows how to cope without vision. Oh, shit. That's rough. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good one. That is fucking hilarious. That wraps it up for this week's episode. Tune in next time as we discuss more topics. Next week will be our season finale. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other podcast platforms. And if you like the show, please follow us on your preferred platform. You can leave us questions and comments or shoot us an email at fandomsculturemurder at gmail.com. Until next time. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening. Y'all stay safe. Appreciate y'all. Bye.